Somebody say destination. I'm going to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 through 9. I want to take a moment and take you to the scriptures tonight. Genesis chapter 12. This is the reference here to Abraham getting called out on a journey. And I think all of us can relate to it. Verse number 1 says, and I'm in the, I believe, New King James Version. It says, Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family, from your father's house, to a land. Let's not honk anymore, okay, so everybody can hear. That's why we got it out of your system. Thank you. And from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as to the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent. And Bethel on the west, and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Everybody say, in Jesus' name, you can be seated, and you can stay seated. Some of y'all that were standing up in your vehicles, you may be seated. Some of you that are shorter that can do that. Have you guys ever tried to, to travel, I'm sure you have, on a long-distance trip that was completely miserable? Like you, you knew it would be fun when you got there, but until then it was miserable. Especially if you have children, you could not wait to get to the destination. Has anybody ever, ever tried to take your family 20 hours on a drive and thought, why in the world did I do this to myself? There is no place on the earth that are worth that long drive with the kids that are angry and sad and angry and having to go to the bathroom and go eat, uh, sometimes that journey can be miserable. Sometimes that journey can make you question everything. Why am I on this journey? I know my, my wife and I have taken our family on multiple road trips, uh, and it is so stressful because getting there is difficult. One kid has to go to the bathroom every 30 minutes, and they rotate almost on purpose, uh, attempting to make me turn around and go back uh, because sometimes the journey makes you want to quit uh, and give up. Now, we know it's exciting. We raise the money. We can't wait to get there, but sometimes uh, it's just so frustrating on this journey. No wonder God spent all of his time explaining the place Abram was going to end up. He said, you'll have your own land. You're going to be a great nation. You're going to be blessed. Your name will be great, and you will be a blessing. It took three verses to talk Abram into the journey. And then on verse 4, he left. He was gone. 
Abram wasn't forewarned about the length of the journey. He was not forewarned about the family problems with Lot, his nephew, the Egyptians who would temporarily borrow his wife, the years it would take to get there, and the rebellion uprisings and moments of total doubt. God never told him about the journey. As oftentimes he does not tell you or I about the journey because he knows that we would never go to the destination if we knew how tough the journey would be. Do you want to know why God never discloses the difficulties along the journey? Because God knows that the destination will be worth all the difficulties of the journey. So I am here to preach tonight in this, in this church property that it's destination over the difficulties. The Apostle Paul talked about his journey. In Philippians 3, 10 through 14, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. In verse 10, Paul desired destination, to know him, the power of his resurrection. He desired to have an end game that would be worth it. And like Abram's journey, Paul begins by disclosing where he wants to end up. In fact, he literally wants to end up, literally end up like in the resurrection, end up. But notice what he adds after the destination. He adds the journey, the fellowship of sufferings being conformable unto his death. That would be the road for which he would get to that destination. Paul understood how this deal works. If I want to end up like Jesus Christ with resurrection power, I have to be willing to go down like Jesus Christ into his death. The only way to have the power is to take the journey. The only way to get to the destination of Jesus' life of power is to deal with the pain of the journey. Your refusal to die his death is by default your refusal to have his life living inside of you. So can I ask this question tonight? When did your decision, our decision to give ourselves to Jesus become all about the journey? When did Christianity become all about how good it would be in the journey? When did it come to where you'd be comfortable the whole time? When did serving Jesus turn into the journey and not the destination? Remember, guys, we got in the church because we wanted to be saved. When we take our last breath and we take our last journey, our last step, we want to make sure we end up in heaven one day. This is not about the journey. This is about the destination. I'm serving Jesus because I want to have a great destination. This generation wants heaven on the wrong side of their death. We are not on this journey because of the journey. We are on this journey because of the destination. I don't pack my bags to ride in a car. I don't save my money to take a stare out of the window for 20 hours. I don't endure the plane changes, security checks, and crowded spaces because I'm bored. I do it all because I'm headed to a far greater place than where I am now. I'm enduring all of the things I have to endure because where I am going is worth all the pain and the problems of what I'm about to experience. 
It's worth the pain. It's worth the money. It's worth the savings. Everything you've got to do to get there, you know and I know it will be worth it all. If you commit to the journey to become free of hurt, you will not make it on the journey because this journey will have hurt. Let me tell people who get in church to escape hurt. You can't escape church and escape the hurt getting in church because there will be some pain on the journey. If it's worth going to, it's worth the pain along the journey. If you commit to the journey to have friends, you won't make it because sometimes your friends will not stay faithful to you on this journey. If you commit to the journey because of who the preacher is, you might not make it. No, 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 because this is all about knowing him. This is all about knowing Jesus. This is all about him being the destination. I am convinced that your inconsistency on the journey is directly connected to your lack of love for the destination. You're forgetting why you signed up. You're forgetting why you got in this thing. You're forgetting why you were in church in the first place. You're really here for the first place because you want it to get to the end destination. Can I remind you at the end and close, hopefully, of this pandemic that we have a heaven to look forward to, that this world is not our home, and that we have to stop investing our lives in this crazy world. We are just passing through. And we cannot wait to get to the destination. If I could just introduce you today to Jesus Christ. No wonder Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus and him crucified. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. Why? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is about Jesus. Don't make it about the man. Don't make it about this kingdom on the earth. Keep this about Jesus. Everything you're fighting for is to get to Jesus. If it takes, if it takes enticement to get you, it will take enticement to keep you. If it takes fancy things to draw you into church, it will take fancy things to keep you in the church. We carry a cross, not a comforter. Paul said, when I preach, I preach Jesus and him crucified. And when you preach Jesus, you protect yourself from journey Christians who only come to church because it's easy. But when you have a demonstration of spirit and power, you're giving people a taste of eternity. Amen. Philippians chapter 3 and 11. If by any means I might attain, Paul said, unto the resurrection of the dead. You see, in verse 11, it shows what all Paul would do to get there. He said, if by any means, 
if by any means there's nothing I won't pay. There's nothing I will not do. I will do it. I will fight it. I will climb it. Paul said, I've made my mind up by any means. I'm going to get to the end. I'm going to get to that destination. I'm going to get to that place I started out seeking after. I will get there one day by any means. And then he says in verse 12, not as though I'd already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Verse 12 is an honest confession. Paul had not yet reached the destination, neither did he consider himself to be perfect or complete. But then, verse 13 and 14 wraps it up completely. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the, pri for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul could not stop talking about the destination. Because first, you've got to choose a destination. You've got to make your mind up where you're going to go. Where do you want to be at the end? This is the first question. You're having trouble, listen to me, staying on the right path because you don't have a destination in mind. You can't continue to stay in the journey unless you have a destination in mind. You've got to make up your mind right now that I will get to the end. I will see Jesus face to face. I will walk on streets of gold. You've got to make your mind up right now. I have a destination. Paul only gives one reference about the journey. He says it requires pressure. Somebody say pressure. I was praying one day about this reference, and I heard, I really felt I heard the Lord tell me that I will never put anything in your path that you can't press through. I don't know what you have as your hurdle in your journey, but I know that anything that's in your pathway to the end, you can press through. And this is why Paul said, I know it's difficult, but I have pressing power. And Paul said, sometimes I have to push. I have to press my way through. This is a part of the journey. Sometimes you've got to lean on it, push on it, and try your hardest. Sometimes you've got difficulties. You can't give up. You've got to put some pressure onto it. Yes, it might be difficult, but it will not last. God will let you push through whatever it is that's trying to hinder you from the destination. You will not have to worry about your depression if you would have depressing. You will not have to worry about that depression you've been battling if you would spend your worry on your depressing. The reason why you're, you're in depression is because you have no depressing. You have no pressing. You don't press. And because you don't press, you are depressed. If you would learn how to press against the difficulties in your journey, you would overcome the depression in your spirit. I've learned you're either pushing on it or it's pushing on you. I've learned you're either pushing on it or it's pushing on you. We are the pressers. We are not under depression. We are the pushers. We are the pushers. I want to help somebody right now before I close this thing out. You can pray and difficulties will stay. You can fast and difficulties will last. 
I promise you. You can cry out, but difficulties are just as stout. Your righteousness will never reduce the roughness. Oh, your holiness will never hold back all the hardships. Your dedication will never disintegrate the difficulties. Injury still accompanies endurance. Faithfulness will not fix every falter. Hope won't always head off the hurt. Some of you say it like this. I'm going through a rough time with a sad face on. But think about what you're saying. Yes, you're going through it. Yes, you're going through it. Yes, you're going through it. You're like Paul, and you're pressing. You're pressing. You're pressing. This is not something to be sad about. This is something to rejoice about, because when you're going through it, you have the pressure on the problem. Paul says he presses because there is a prize, and the prize of God is in Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, he owns everything. He loves everybody. He can do anything. He gives grace liberally. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures forever. He wept when his friends wept. He walked in our shoes and felt what we feel. He comforts those in distress. He lifts those who are down. He saves the lost, heals the sick, raises the dead, hears the whisper, and feels the voice. He's everywhere at all times. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. He's strength. He's provision. He's patience wrapped in meekness and filled with power. He is the only living God. There's none like him and none that can compare to him. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and he's as close as the mention of his name. The devils fear him, and the angels follow him. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's the latitude. He's the longitude. And he can even fix your bad attitude. He's the goal. He's the end result. He's the finish line. He's the place we seek, the address that we Google, and the last stop on the GPS. He's the main position. He's the last location. He is the final destination. But to sum it all up, we can call him the prize. He is the prize. He is the prize at the end of the journey. He's the prize at the end of the pandemic. He's the prize whenever you're done with this life. Jesus is the ultimate prize, and he is worth everything you fought, every devil you had to overcome. Jesus is the prize. We're going to pray in a moment, but before we do, I need everybody right now to take out your spiritual GPS. Get it out. Go ahead. Y'all got y'alls? It's right here in your pocket. Lift, look at it. It looks like this because it's not real. It's fake. I'm just joking. Somebody pull it out. You ready? You got your spiritual GPS? Everybody got it? Everybody got it? Okay. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to take out that place called heaven out of your destination. Hit the delete X button beside it because all of y'all got heaven in your GPS. Heaven's a place, not a prize. This is why you can't do this, because you've got heaven in your GPS. Heaven is what people that are carnal put in their GPS. 
Because you know why you want to go to heaven? Because you want streets of gold and you want a mansion and a big, big table where you can eat your food and a big, big field where you can play football. You see, you've got heaven in there and only carnal people want to go to heaven. But spiritual people want to see Jesus. Heaven is not worth the journey, but Jesus is worth the journey. Some of you are in love with an idea of an oasis, and that's just your selfishness speaking. But when you really see Jesus, he is worth the journey. Heaven hasn't been good enough for people. We've preached about heaven forever. We have not preached about the king who sits on the throne that makes heaven heaven. It's the only reason why heaven will be good is because Jesus will be there. Please hear me. Paul did not say he was pressing for heaven. He said he was pressing for Jesus. Aside from the pearly gates and streets of gold, which would be pretty cool for a few weeks, and the occasional conversation with really interesting Bible folks, I will have an eternity to do what else? I mean, you can only look at stones so long. I will have an eternity to do what? You'd be bored in heaven after a couple weeks looking at the gold and the gates, and you'd be wondering what else could you do there? No, no, I don't, I don't read in the Bible where I'll get to have my cell phone and my social media to scroll in, in, a, in eternity. No, I don't read in the Bible where I get to have my TV set up in my mansion where I can just kick back and binge. No, I don't read in the Bible where I'm going to play sports with my buddies. I don't read in the Bible where I can cook food and eat. I don't read that. That's not biblical. None of my hobbies on the earth will be in heaven. What will I do? What possibly could I do to pass the time? After all my studying about heaven, it looks like we will have to keep ourselves occupied for eternity by basically worshiping Jesus forever. Right about now, there's some of you that don't want to go there anymore. Because you see, if you can't worship him on the earth, you'll be bored in heaven. If you don't like church, you'll hate heaven. If you don't like to sing about him and lift your hands up and worship his holy name, then you will not like heaven. And I promise you, my God is a perfect gentleman. He will not make you be tortured forever. To some people, heaven will be hell because they don't like to be around church, folks. They don't like to be around the spiritual music. They don't like singing. They don't like praising. Therefore, you won't like heaven. And I think too many people are not going to want to go there because you're going for the wrong reasons. Heaven is not about us. Heaven is about Jesus. I wondered how, how so many who plan to go to heaven would enjoy worshiping Jesus forever when they have to, we have to force themselves today. They force themselves to worship him longer than a few moments before they get bored and try to leave. How would you possibly enjoy heaven forever? I don't care about the streets of gold and gates of pearl near as much 
But the Bible says that my tears will be wiped away, and it will not be the streets of gold or the gates of pearl. Moses and Abraham won't have that power to wipe my tears away. No, there will only be one with the power to set my soul at peace for eternity. And his name, ladies and gentlemen, is Jesus Christ. He's the only reason why I want to go to heaven. Anybody want to go see Jesus one day? I've come to preach tonight that the destination is worth the difficulty. I've come to remind you today that it won't be long, and all the things you're fighting and facing right now, it will come to pass. It will be gone. I believe that Jesus is coming back quickly, and I think we can all sense it right now in our spirit that Jesus is getting ready to break open the sky and come back for the church. But I want to tell you, the Bible says that he's coming back for those who will love his appearing, not the idea of heaven, but who will love him. Anybody in love with Jesus right now? God, I want my heart to seek after you, Jesus. You know, the interesting thing about the difference in David and Saul. Saul was known as a good, strong, tall man, and David was known as a shepherd boy that loved God. Saul was anointed king due to his favor among the people, but David was anointed king due to his favor with the Lord. And when Samuel confronted Saul for his disobedience, he tried to make excuses. He sought Samuel's forgiveness, and he was worried about his relationship with the people. When Samuel confronted David for his murder and his adultery, David made no excuses. He recognized his direct sin against God, and he was worried about his relationship with Jehovah. In one place, he prays that God would spare him at least one remaining thing. He says this in his prayer meeting. He said, Lord, I, you can take all my kingdom. You can take my crown. You can take everything from me. Here's what he prays. But just do not take your spirit. Here's the point. Here's the point. If you notice what Acts 13, 22 says about David, it says he was a man after God's own heart. His destination caused him to live a life of continual repentance. And repentance is where a person changes direction. It's a navigational term. It has nothing to do with elevation. The ups and the downs of life have no power over somebody who's after the heart of Jesus Christ. You know what we are right now? We are navigators. It doesn't matter if we're high or we're low. When you plug Jesus and your GPS, it will take you over hills, over mountains, and through valleys, and never speak a word about it. And the whole point of this destination is not about how high you get or how low you get. The whole point is that you get to the end. That's all that matters. So can I tell someone listening right now, you might be low right now. But you can be low and still on track. 
You can be low and still pointing to Jesus Christ. You can be in the valley of your life and still be pointing to Jesus Christ. It's not about the ups and the downs. It's about the left and the right, the left and the right, the left and the right. It's about making progress every day and repenting. Repentance is navigational, not elevational. You might be low and you might be high, but what matters right now, where are you headed towards? Because if you're facing him, and he's your journey, he's your destination. The journey does not matter. The ups and the downs do not matter. Set your sights on Jesus. And pray like this, Lord, take everything else from me. But don't take your spirit. You can take everything from me, but I want you, Jesus. This is the prayer of kings. This is the prayer of righteous hearts. Jesus, you are my end, my destination, my goal. It's all about you. Can we pray in the name of Jesus Christ right now all over this property? In the name of Jesus Christ. I come to tell people right now in the Holy Ghost uh, that we will reach the end. No matter what we're facing, no matter what the difficulties say, this is not uh, about the journey. This is about the destination. I want to encourage someone right now and I want to tell you, get your eyes uh, off the water. Get your eyes off the wind uh, and put your eyes uh, on Jesus uh, and you can walk uh, on top of the obstacles uh, that try to trip you up uh, in the name of Jesus, I pray that right now the Holy Ghost would move over this property and somebody would set their eyes on you, Jesus. You are worthy of the fight. You are worthy of the battles. You're worthy of the climb, Jesus. You're the prize. In Jesus' name, I'm praying right now, Lord, let every heart be in repentance, turning to you right now, Jesus. Would you lift up some hands the best you can right now in Jesus' name? Oh, God. Oh, God, you're coming back soon. I would encourage you right now, if you can hear my voice, uh, to make sure that your face uh, is headed towards Jesus uh, and not towards heaven because you'll never make heaven if Jesus is not the reason for going there. It won't be heaven to you. It won't be fun for you. If you're not a worshiper, then you won't like heaven. Somebody just begin to worship him right now. Lift your voice up in the name of Jesus and call his name out and begin to worship him. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I love to call your name. I love to shout your name. I love to sing your praises. I could do it forever, Jesus. I want you to close your eyes right now and hear me. Have you ever lost track of time worshiping him? That's the closest you'll ever get to, to feeling like you're in heaven right there. When you started to look at your clock and, and it didn't matter anymore what time it was, but you began to worship and began to cry and began to weep and all of a sudden all your hunger pain went away and what you had to do tonight went away and you thought, I could do this forever. I love being in your presence, Jesus. That's what heaven's going to be like for you and I. One day when we get the prize of Jesus Christ on the throne before us, uh, 
I want you to take about 60 seconds right now and can we just worship him together all over this property. Why don't you close your eyes, lift your voice up in your car, wherever you're seated right now, and let's turn this property into a prayer room in the name of Jesus. I'm encouraging people right now to fall in love with Jesus. Yes, we need you, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to dance before your presence. I want to see you on the throne. I want to see you. It won't be great if you're not there. I want to see you. Somebody shout in the back. Somebody shout on the sides. Lift your voice up. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus, I'm not ashamed to worship you. Come on, somebody, right now. I know you've been in your home for a while, but it's time to lift your voice up today. It's time to let the Holy Ghost flow through you again. I know you're used to being quiet. You're used to being on your couch. But tonight the Holy Ghost wants us to stir up the gift within us and help us right now to get revitalized with our worship again. Oh, Jesus, I'm a worshiper still. I'm a worshiper still. I'm a worshiper still, Jesus. Anybody want to see Jesus one day start to worship him right now? I want to see you, Lord. I want to see you, Lord. I want to see you, Lord. It's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth the sickness. Brother Brown, it's going to be worth the sickness one day, Brother Brown. It's going to be worth the sickness, my friend. I know you've been through so much pain, Brother Brown. It's going to be worth the turmoil. It's going to be worth all the pain. It's going to be worth everything you fought and climbed over. It's going to be worth it all. He's coming back for us, church. He's coming back for us. I want you to imagine right now that the Lord is going to come back and split that sky open one day. Will you be happy? Will you be happy or afraid? Will you be happy? Will you put a smile on your face or will you be scared? You should be excited about Jesus' return. Only worshipers will be happy to see Jesus again. <laughs> 